When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are live on a Toba Tonight East Coast Music Award special with a lot of acts that you probably are really sick of by this point because we've had them on so many times. Isn't that right, Rachel? <laughs> You're not wrong. Um, no, I, I actually, I had a kind of funny joke to start this off. I did write it down because I knew I was going to butcher it. I'm going to see how much of each person's content I can get into this one joke. Um, welcome to If and When. We met wise women. We'll show them our canvas of the aftermath of Hurricane Abigail. Quote the Raven, nothing more. Boom. Wow. <laughs> I've got a lot of references in there. Wow. Someone needs to make that remix. Yeah, someone would. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's a timbit for anyone who's out there now going, like, where did all these references come from? Um, they will definitely have the time to look back. And if they send me a message and ask me where, I'm going to tell them I can't help you. That is the whole point of this. Uh, guys, how are you all doing? Like, how has, uh, I mean, it, it's going to sound pretty similar to your own individual interviews, but I wanted to get you all here because you're all part of the Music NL family. Uh, I feel like the weird stepchild that just entered the chat because you all have musical talent. My musical talent is that sometimes I can sing in the shower and then sometimes someone upstairs tells me to shut the fuck up. <laughs> so tell, We're all tell shower me, singers. <laughs> that's how everyone starts. Okay. I mean, but yeah, go. that's how you start, and that's how you find your talent. But I don't think it's very supportive when someone says, "I would rather hear the dog bark over your singing voice." Like, <laughs> doesn't 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 do well for me. Uh, I'm gonna start with Ian uh, because Ian was the first one in here, so I feel like I'm gonna pick on Ian first. Ian, tell me. Tell me how COVID has been treating you, Ian. Oh, fantastic! Obviously, <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, it's been a challenge in year for sure, um, and for for me, it's been an opportunity to sort of work in some of the the fields that I've done uh, kind of peripherally over the last few years. So a bit more film stuff, um, uh, a bit more production, but remotely. Uh, so I produced a track uh, in, in Ottawa and Montreal and Manitoba, all in one track last year for a guy named Graham Lindsay, who's awesome. And I believe that was a co-write with Jordan Coker, if I remember correctly. Kirsten that, that, as well? Yes. Or, I'm not sure. It was <laughs> no, I think it was, most, it was just me. Yeah. Just okay. Me. Yeah. So pretty, pretty cool. Pretty fun. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, I'm currently rebuilding a as I mentioned in the backstage area, rebuilding uh, my studio in a new house, which is very exciting. And also why I'm uh, sitting here, in what, what looks like the middle of the woods, which is my kitchen. It, it, it feels like, it feels like Ian is in a back cave. Ian was like, you know what? I know I'm coming on, but I don't want people. I want to still keep that mysterious side of me, which I, I admire. I really do. That's right. That's right. 
Now, I do find it interesting because, of course, now being involved with music and all you guys and gals have all been either interlinked in some form or another. Like I know Mallory, for example, you and Abigail, uh, I see like posters in the pack that uh, are posters when you do advertisements that two of you shared a stage. Mm -hmm. um, Ian, of course, you have been involved with Rachel in some capacity as well as Rosemary. So, I mean, you all kind of interlinked. Like, tell me. I guess in your own words, and I'll let whoever wants to start first, but how do you guys get to really know each other? Cause is it through the music NL branch? Do you guys just go to open mics and then you're like, I like this girl. We can get along or it's like, I hate that bitch. I don't want to talk to her anymore. I can't, I don't want to be anywhere near her. She can't come out on my CD. She can't come out on my track. If I see her anywhere near me, I'm running the other direction. That's how I feel about a lot of you. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, well, I think it's kind of like all of the above. I mean, we always all get together during Music and L Week or ECMA Week. But, I mean, it's a small community, so we all kind of run into each other. Um, I first, I think I met Rachel when I was teaching at a music school, and she was taking lessons at that school. And then I went to high school with Jordan, and I'm pretty sure myself and Rosemary went to the same dance school. So we've kind of all crossed each other's paths in different ways, but we all kind of get together at events like Music and L and, and ECMA, because um, it is a small community and, and we all support each other and it's it's really cool. We're like a big family. No, I, I agree. It's just interesting to me because like when you mentioned about family, of course now families have their ups and downs. I was looking through a bit of research, like I tell everyone, this is like a Tinder date. I do a little bit of research on you, but not enough that scares me away because I want to <laughs> learn things. Uh, but like I noticed that I believe it was a music and L award that I think two or three of you were nominated for. So like, of course you're all kind of supporting each other, but is there sometimes a little bit like, Oh man, what if they win? Like there, is there ever that kind of, I won't say animosity, but almost like, okay, that's good for them. But oh, like I, I really wanted to win that as well. I know I was I uh, talking to somebody about, oh. oh, please. Sorry. <laughs> I was talking to somebody about that, uh, and I was like, "Oh, I've got I'm a, I'm up against so many people." And there were so many amazingly talented musicians one year, and they were like, "No, no, you're not up against; you're alongside." And I thought that was a really great way of putting that. Ian, yeah, I'm, glad, I'm glad Rosemary spoke first. I was going to suggest "Fight to the Death." <laughs> I'm I mean, gonna win. No. I'm gonna be a wrestler when I was in high school, so I don't know. Like, this is... I will be long gone. By the... You know, like I agree with Rosemary too, and I also think a win for anyone is a win for everyone. Like, I don't know. I, I find it's not just our province. I feel like a lot of, especially East Coast provinces, are very supportive of everyone in the music industry, which is so nice and. I think, especially with all the collaborating we've been doing with each other and stuff like that, like any win for anyone is just a win for everyone. You know, it's it's helpful regardless. And obviously being nominated is helpful too, but yes. and meeting is helpful, but, but no, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I really like, I didn't think the community was going to be that way. And I'm really happy that it is. Fair enough. Abigail, you had something to add there as well? Uh, no, I, I didn't really speak, but I was just like thinking to myself, it's like, it, going along with what everybody said it's like if you're nominated alongside people it's exactly what rosemary was saying it's you're amongst these people and it's just an honor to be among or like classified with these people and i think that's so great to recognize that like we are a family and we get along and i it's yeah it's really cool to be alongside such musicians that you hear you know all around in the music industry it's just super awesome 
Nice. Yeah, I remember when I when I first was like going to put out my first EP ever, and I was talking to uh, Tony at uh, Fred's Records, and he was like, "Oh, I've got a friend you should speak to. His name is Ian Foster." And then he hooked me up with a meeting with Ian Foster, and then Ian was like, "I think you're awesome." And then we worked together, and he ended up producing my first EP. And while we were applying for grants to do that i was talking to a few people about marketing plans because i had no idea what i was doing and then i spoke to Dwayne andrews and Dwayne andrews was like here's my marketing plan you can just put in your own information you can have the format here you go it was like don't worry about competing about grants let me help you get a grant let me help support you in your growth as a musician so i feel like yeah it takes a village and it's yeah like we, we've done some conferences together we've gotten gigs together we've gotten to travel together and it's just what builds a close-knit community okay i am going to mark down quit podcasting join music because you guys sound like you guys are like a family where in podcasting it's like you you got bob saget on how come i didn't get bob saget on my podcast wait you got that guy on why didn't i get that guy you you're weird and i'm just still like dude i'm just trying to make it like you are and they're like no fuck you go away and i'm just still like <laughs> like Oh, wow. This podcast community is so great. Um, no, I'm only kidding. I have no involvement with the podcast community. Um, but yeah, that's that's awesome that you guys are all like in, engaged, interactive, like a family. But do you guys, I guess, ever, um, I, what's the word I'm looking for? Like when you guys collaborate, do you guys kind of mesh in terms of say, okay, like this is my idea and this is my idea. And like, of course, you you eventually meet in the middle. Have that Has that ever come across like, your paths if two of you ever collaborated or because i know rosemary you're saying that you teamed with ian um sometimes like if it's abigail and mallory sharing a stage has anyone ever like get off the stage it's my turn bitch um well this past summer i had a little songwriting retreat at my parents place on the west coast um and jordan and kirsten were there and we ended up um writing a Christmas song that was on the list to do. And I loved the Christmas song so much. And like we had started it and it was kind of like a Casey Musgraves kind of vibe. And I was like, I'm gonna record this. This is mine, this is awesome. And then Tim Hardy actually suggested, he was like, you guys should demo this with Quote the Raven because it'd be super dope. And then immediately we were like, yes. And then we heard the demo and it like, it just fit together so perfectly. And we ended up releasing it as a, as a single. Um, but I think it just goes to show that everyone just wants the best outcome for the song and the best, the best thing to be put forward. Um, and that's a true collaboration. And yeah, I just, I was so excited about that song when we originally, well, I originally had planned to go a completely different direction, but I'm so happy it went the way it did because they did an absolute beautiful job with that song. Um, I kind of have something to add. Myself and Abigail are in the middle of a collaboration right now, which is not, it's not like announced or anything. It's like pretty top secret for right now, but we're in the middle of collaborating with each other. And um, I think it's the same thing. Like I love that Rosemary said it takes a village because it definitely does. Um, I've asked Abigail so many questions and for so much input and we bounce each other. We bounce stuff off each other a lot. And even yesterday or the day before we were together the whole night um, recording and stuff. And it was like, we were always checking in on one another and always making sure, do you feel good about this? Or like, do you need anything? Um, I, I guess it's like a team effort really, because you also know how everyone else feels about stuff. So just to hear somebody else on the other end, giving you feedback about something, um, or asking if you need this or if you need clarification on this, 
Um, it never really feels like a competition. Um, and I think for me specifically, I'm not a firm believer in competitions anymore. Um, for that very reason, I just think that like it gives a little bit of a bad rep and um, rubs people the wrong way. And uh, yeah, I think that it's so cool that musicians, especially here in Newfoundland, like um, it's like everybody knows everybody pretty much. And um, yeah, it definitely takes a village. And I, I love that. I've never really thought about it like that before until Rosemary said it, but um, I reach out to people all the time and ask questions about how I can up my socials or how I can make this song better or what do you think about this song? And I know people come to me for the same thing. So I think that it's really cool that we all have like, you know, all of our hands in each other's projects and, and that kind of thing. I think it's a really cool way to look at stuff. Now, yeah. I, I guess, I, oh, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and add on to that, it's like, we could be texting each other. I know there was, at one point, we were like texting each other, like, could be 11.30 at night, and I'll be lying in bed, and I'll be like, okay, yeah, so how do you feel about this, and get your, like, opinions on this, and then we kind of take our ideas separately and bring them together and make something that we can both agree on, and it takes both of our, I guess, passion of music and kind of create something that compromises the two, and I think that's really cool, too, because you can take two completely different styles of music and bring them together and create a whole new targeted audience. You know what I mean? And I think that's such a, an amazing thing that us as artists get to do. Mm -hmm. Like the, the other thing I want to go off of, and I, I mean, I don't want to slight anyone by saying this, but like, you know, for someone like say Abigail, for someone like yourself, like fairly young, obviously it was like 16. Yeah. Six, so like, yeah. And then like you have someone like say like a Rachel or a Mallory oh. that like, yeah, <laughs> Hey, you feel old. I'm fine. I'm turning saying? 30. I, don't, don't, out, don't oust Ian like that. Don't oust Ian like that. No, no. It was a hard 29th, okay? It was only a little while ago. <laughs> I, I feel, yeah, I'm turning 30. And Mal Mallory can definitely feel that pain as well. I know, literally twice Abigail's age now that you say it. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, but, like, I guess, like, what I, Just let's yeah. not. Let's not. But, like, <laughs> so, so when you when you get, say, Abigail, like, someone like a Rachel, or, like, you know, Mallory, you probably get it the same way. It's, like, you're all fairly similar around the same age. You're still trying to make them the business. But, like, when you see someone that has teamed up with, say, an Alan Doyle or the Ennis sisters, and you're coming and teaming up with them, that's on the rise as well. Like, is there a little bit of, say, intimidation, even though, like, they're still in their same shoes? Like, I know for myself, if I reach out to someone that has maybe 100 followers, they could be my best friend from, like, three years ago. I don't know why they're not my best friend anymore. <laughs> they're just not. <laughs> but, like, I could reach out to them and be like, I still feel a little bit hesitant to be like, oh, man, he has more followers than me. Is, is it, am I showing my hand by asking for a little bit of advice? Um, or should I just treat it like an even playing field? Do you get that sometimes, Abigail, when you reach out to, like, these people? I feel like there's a little bit of something there that it's like you want to be your best for these people. Yeah. And I think that's very helpful because it makes you stay on your toes and be ready and try to be your very best. So I think that's the good thing that comes out of this when you're reaching out to these people who've been around the industry for quite some time and have made or are making their name. And I think it, it's super cool that I get the opportunity to collaborate with these people to even, you know, get you know, information and experience that they've had in the industry to kind of, I can take and I can use. And I think it's, it's been beneficial that way and very helpful to, uh, to know more about the industry in that way. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, 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 re I reach out to Rachel's mom all the time, Hilda for advice. And she tells me like, don't be a <laughs> hater. And I, I just never take her advice. 
Go ahead, Rachel. A lot of people reach out to my mom for advice. She's such a good momager. Um, what I was going to say was, I think that anyone would be lying if they said that they have never felt intimidation from other people. It's literally oh, human never. nature. Like, it's just science. It's it's human nature. It's part of the human connection. Um, and I think that, if anything, when you're intimidated by people or you're intimidated by how great a person is or how successful they are, um, I think that that's something that you need to grow through um, instead of take as, oh, God, I'm so intimidated. It's like, but if you think about it this way, like, okay, so Abigail works with me. I've worked with Alan Doyle before. But, like, me working with Alan Doyle, I'm looking at Alan Doyle going, what am I doing here? You know what I mean? So everybody's feeling the same emotions. It's just like a food chain. Like, everybody's in the same boat, just in different positions. Um, and my mom always taught me that, blowing out somebody else's candle never makes your shine brighter. And that was, that's really important in the music industry because realizing that somebody else's success does not mean that you were unsuccessful, which is really important. Um, so although it's completely normal to compare yourself to other people, once again, human nature, um, and that's not something you should feel guilty about, but if anything, it's something you can learn from because everybody else feels the exact same way as you. It doesn't matter how successful you are. Somebody else is always going to be, better or more successful than you are so you just kind of have to get comfortable like in your own journey and like learn that just because somebody else is successful doesn't mean that you are not so i think that's like my two cents on that whole food chain um analogy yeah so and, like, and if they ask you to be there they think you're good enough to be there and i think that's something true. you always have to remember as well and like back to like the intimidation thing it's basically what you do with that intimidation because Rachel is right. Like we are all intimidated no matter where we sit on that food chain. And the moment that you think nobody's better than you is the moment you're going to fail because you're so wrong. Um, but yeah, it's what you do with that intimidation, whether you, whether that cripples you and scares you away or whether you use that as motivation to level up and better yourself and grow and learn and um, yeah, just level up. I like though that, so I, I believe Rachel, you had mentioned that in actually our interview as well about blowing out someone else's candle. It doesn't make yours, but like, man, have you ever blown out a seven year old's candle on their birthday? Like their <laughs> face is just like, it's the greatest moment in the world if you're a super villain. You are an evil human being. <laughs> I, mean, you, you, I mean, if you don't, I, I feel like if you don't have the chance to do it, obviously you're a great person, but man, if it's just presenting there in your face, he's like lighting up like, okay, so in full disclosure, it's my nephew, but like he had done some awful shitty things to me earlier the day. So I felt like this is my moment. And they're like, Brian, you are 29. What are you doing? I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'm 29, but I'm eight. Right. <laughs> I am an eight-year-old. <laughs> Don't worry, he had other candles. It's not like it's the end of the world. I'll blow I I I won't ruin those. They'll just light it another five times. So <laughs> you can do it five times after. <laughs> exactly. Let's put let's put it this way. Full disclosure, at Christmas time, I had kidney stones and he decided to give me a really good punch to the you know what. So I was like, man, I have waited months and months. I built this up. So <laughs> he had it coming. <laughs> he might have deserved it, honestly. Yeah, yeah, ex exactly. This podcast is the brought to you by is, kids. Did it they deserve it. You shine brighter. Like that's you blew out his oh. candle. Did it make did it Go with the same. I know what you're trying like to do here, Ian, and my and my answer is yes. I shine bright like a candle. <laughs> Clearly, my like my whole like my goal there the rest of the day is that I am so bright, like no one can touch me. I should wear shades. No, I'm not kidding. Uh, Ian, you had a really good quote in your actual interview that kind of ties into this because 
Um, you had mentioned when you were performing, and sometimes people talk during performance. Like I'm sure you all get this. People talk during your performance. You're basically like, do I tell them to be quiet? Do I play through it? And like Ron Hines had told you, Ian, basically like either own the room or tell them, hey, shut the fuck up. People came here to see me play. And I liked how you said, yeah, you're Ron Hines. Like you get away with that, but I can't. Like that I was don't. a direct quote. Yes, from Ron. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like, explain that a little bit further, because like I really liked your answer to that. Because of course, yeah, like if an Alan Doyle walks in the room, like boys, tell them like to calm down. Like I'm Alan Doyle. Like tell them to stop. And it's like, yeah, Alan, they'll stop for you. But if I walk in the room, and be like, hey, I'm trying to play over there. Like, oh, this guy over here trying to play. Yeah, I mean, I think that. Uh, yeah, it's. I don't think it's. It's. I think people are there for the show that they're there for. And I don't think that has anything to do with the level of fame of the performer. I think that has to do with, like, I don't think most people walk into a room and immediately think, you know, let me try to compare this to every single show that I've ever seen or could see in my life. They're there in the moment. Hopefully, hopefully you're there in the moment as the performer and the audience is there as well. So, you know, there, there are definitely ways to, to, tactfully deal with hecklers you know yeah. uh and some some battles are unwinnable in certain yeah. certain situations you know it really it comes down to venue it comes down to a lot of factors but you know um the more you do it the more you sort of instinctively know how to handle it you know because you can obviously make an enemy of the crowd depending on how you handle it or you can make yourself a hero of the crowd depending on how you handle it you know um yeah I don't know if that answers your question. But. No, no, that, that, that ties right into my point. Cause when you're talking about like, of course they're there to see you regardless if you're big or small, like um, Jordan, I know earlier you had mentioned about a little bit about your wrestling background. Have you ever had to tackle a fan because they were heckling and you just lost it? <laughs> no, I, I have been an asshole to a crowd though. And that was, that was, that was a, that was a big learning lesson. Like I was in, I, I won't even say the venue, but I was somewhere with the rock band I used to be in and uh, the crowd just wasn't receptive at all. And, you know, it was just one of those weird, like, Monday night gigs where there's a few people there who are just kind of there just to chill out and it's not for the show. And I got I got really offended. Like, this was when we first started playing and I was like, man, like, you know, we in my mind, it was like my circus, my monkeys kind of thing where it was like, I'm dealing with people like I drove all this way to get here and you don't even care. And it was like, in my head, I was, this sucks. Like why, why is nobody reacting to us? And like, I literally picked up a chair, turned it around and sat AC Slater style. And was like, I guess this is fun. Like I just called him out and I was being a real jackass and a bunch of people left. And there was a couple of people that stayed. And those were the people that actually had appreciated the whole time. And that was a really interesting moment because it didn't matter like the show was supposed to be a rock show and you know everybody's supposed to be vibing with it but there were still people who appreciated it for what it was that part aside so i think yeah like that realizing like what you're bringing to people they're going to receive it however they're going to receive it and it has absolutely nothing yeah. to do with you for the most part you know, and I thought that was that was a pretty magical moment for me, like figuring that out for the first time. Now, see, the only thing that I will add to that, and I, Rachel, I'll let you go, but the, the one thing that I will add to that was like when you said AC Slater style. Does everyone know what AC Slater style is? Number one, okay. 
No, because okay. I was going to be like, number two, I was like, do you mean like the Backstreet Boys style where you just like turn around and then you start doing a dance? Because I mean, that would entertain people too. Like, I mean, that's how I would handle a situation. It was, it was I zoned game. in on that as well. And I was like, did Jordan say like, all right, I'm going to talk to you AC Slater style? Because I feel like that might be a way to win over the crowd. Yeah. Everybody just calls everyone prep. Just calls everyone preppy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was it. Go ahead, Rachel. Um, what I was going to add was kind of off of Jordan's last um, like little piece of that. I was always taught that you can only control how you react and what you put out, and you can never control somebody else's reaction to something. Um, as a young performer, especially as a young female performer, I was very, very insecure about how the audience would receive me. And from a lot of mentors, especially people like Melanie O'Brien, who was a voice teacher of mine, Kellyanne Evans, who's like this absolute powerhouse. They're all mentors of mine. And they always told me, well, you can't really control how an audience receives you. Like you're just here to do your thing. And if they are not receiving it, then that's not your problem. You can't go home and dwell on it. You have to leave it on the stage. So that's what I always try and do. But another thing, um, kind of what you were asking to Ian about like how somebody has control over a room versus another person doesn't. Also, as a very insecure 20-year-old female performer, I have learned the power of confidence, even if it's fake confidence, like fake it till you make it, um, was my motto all throughout high school. And it still kind of is. Like when I did um, Iceberg Alley, it's probably one of the biggest gigs I've done, opening up for the beaches and Serena Ryder. I was like, why am I here? I don't really deserve to be here. If you tell yourself you don't deserve to be somewhere, then you're going to portray that energy and you're going to make it seem to everybody else that you're not supposed to be there um whereas if you put your shoulders back and you're like oh yeah well i was literally hired to be here so this is my job i'm supposed to be here it changes everything for me to walk onto a stage and go on with the mindset of oh my god this is not going to be very good at all um, i learned that for musical theater that's really big in musical theater visualizing before you go on that everything's very good everything's going the way it should be you're supposed to be here Versus going on saying, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not as good as this person. I don't have the control over the audience like this person does. Well, now you're really not going to because you're telling yourself that and you're setting that intention subconsciously. So faking confidence makes the world of a difference. You can walk into a room with fake confidence and make people believe that you are very important, even though you may not be in that scenario. I do it all the time. Trust me. So. <laughs> I do it during this podcast so I convince people I'm funny. It never works. <laughs> there, are, there are people that will comment after and be like, was that supposed to be a joke? I'd be like, no, that's my life. They'd be like, oh, that's funny. I'd be like, okay. There you go. <laughs> Wait for me, I guess. Uh, but I want to uh, talk a little bit, of course, now about the ECMAs because, like, what's the point if I didn't have an ECMA talk on an ECMA special? Um, but, like, how many of you were planning, essentially, to go to the ECMAs? Raise your hands. All right, now I feel like a teacher. Okay, cool, awesome. Uh, Simon says, touch your feet. No, I'm not kidding. Uh, like, what was your plans, essentially, when you realized, okay, it's not going ahead, it's postponed? Because um, I know we were having discussions, of course, a few of us, or maybe all in the group chat, of, you know, we got to give Rhonda a lot of credit because she's keeping me all in the loop. She kept me in the loop. Don't know why. I mean, I, I know why, but at the same point, it's like, Rhonda, listen, I'm not going. Like, don't worry. <laughs> I will figure it out. Uh but like, tell me what was going through your mind. Because of course, in each one of your episodes, you had mentioned a little bit of maybe frustration, a little bit about sadness, uh, but overall, like happy that it was going ahead. But tell me a little bit about like the whole lead up of finding out that it wasn't going ahead and really how you kind of took it or coped with it. So I bought an entire wardrobe. 
I just like had a I had a whole like look I was gonna go for at the ECMAs this year and I was super excited to show off my new look. So that was like the biggest disappointment for me was both basically just not modeling all of the clothes that I was gonna wear. But yeah, other than that, I'm just glad that everybody's safe and that we're still able to do it online and we're still able to meet with um, you know, expert buyers and um, do some workshops and stuff. And I mean, that's really the most important part of the whole thing is the networking that you, you're, we're going to be able to still get online. Um, yeah, I was kind of the, in the same boat. Like I was really excited to show off all the stuff that I had worked on, um, especially with like the whole pop stuff and so many new songs that were going to happen and showing off this aesthetic that I have developing and all that kind of stuff. It's always really exciting when you have this huge like showcase for export buyers and stuff when you've worked really hard on stage presence and aesthetic and you're delivering and stuff. Um, so I was really bummed out about it, but I've also, um, I'm just counting my blessings that it is still going to be online um, and trying to remain grateful. I think that for a lot of people, it's like, no, I can't be sad because it's like COVID and whatever. So I can't be greedy and be sad that I'm not going, which is not true. I mean, we're literally people and we're programmed to feel stuff about things. It's just the way that it is. So I let myself be sad, but then I was like, well, in the grand scheme of things, it's safety over um, going up and risking a lot for a showcase, especially how bad it was like when everything was canceled again. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, I'm grateful that we get to do stuff online anyways. Thank God for technology sometimes. Like I know that I hate on technology a lot, but also how cool is it that we still get to do that? Like all of us still get to be a part of it online. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I was sad and I let myself be sad, but I don't know, catch your blessings, I guess, because it's still happening. It's not like it's totally um, off the face of the earth, you know? Yeah, I think, I think for us it was kind of kind of similar. I think it was the unknown of it all was the frustrating part, like not really knowing if it was going to be online until they fully canceled it. So I, I think it's just trying to plan, you know, plan something and have it have it ha- like it canceled. But I mean, that's just the way it is. It's the way it's been for over a year now, and it's it's like that for everyone. And I think you just have to make the best of it. And I think. They are, which is great. I, I'm so happy that they're still making it virtual and still making it um, an opportunity for everyone. And yeah. hopefully next year it'll be live and we get to hang out and perform live. And that's all you can really hope for. And maybe next time we can actually drive up together. Yes, careful. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> it's like my I big- know. I was so excited, too. I was like, it's going to be so much fun. Yeah, that's the other thing I was excited for was the road trip. I don't know. I was so excited for it. Like, I was supposed to be traveling with Nick and Dan George and Claire Follett. And I was so excited to get to go up and, like, roomy with Claire Follett and maybe write spontaneous songs in the middle of the day and just the road trip out of it. So just the jams. Just the small things about it. And then all of a sudden it was just yanked out of my hand. So, I, yeah, I was also really bummed about the small stuff. I didn't even think about it until you just said it. But I was so excited for a road trip. And then it eh, was, you know, torn. We should get in real life for jams because we can. I was looking forward to crashing Rosemary's 7 a.m. showcase at a church <laughs> after not going to bed the that night before. That's one of the best memories of my life at this point. That was so good. What'd you say? I said, what an iconic story. Oh. I remember when you told me that for the first time, I was like, you guys. Yeah, seriously, I you sort of need to tell it, but Rosemary, maybe you should start with your reaction of all of us showing up at 6.30 a.m. 
There was like seven of us in a van and Nick girl was like, surprise. Speaking of like confidence and not feeling like you belong somewhere and stage fright, I had all of those things and I was going to perform. I had a bunch of like performances lined up for one of the days at the ECMAs and I was like so nervous. I was sick, like so nervous. And Nick knew that and Nick and I were playing we're supposed to play together that weekend and so Nick Earl and so he went to a jam session that went all night long and all night long and then sobered up in time to come to my show and so I get a call in my hotel room I woke up at 4am to do this morning show it was radio radio ECMA no um weekend mornings with Bill Roach yeah so we we had to wake up at like 4am anyways I get I get a phone call to my my hotel room at 4 a.m. and it's like come downstairs we have a surprise for you and I went downstairs and all of the Newfoundland boys were out in a big van and they'd like hired the cab driver for like the whole time and he like chauffeured us to the venue and then they all came in they saw it at like 6 a.m. and hooted and hollered we were just- and we had free breakfast they were handing out toast they were handing out toast. They had a Actually, to, on the stage. To go, to go off your point there, so I, I I don't mean to interrupt, but I just seen one come in. Angie OBB, I think it's yeah, says I miss the waffle makers at Super Eights. That's Andrew James O'Brien from Fortunate Ones. Aww. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought I'd add that in there before it like went really off. <laughs> yeah, I was oh, that was such the toast was so good, and I think it was extra good because it was so early in the morning. You gotta have your nourishment. But yeah, I mean, those are like, those are, of course, you're obviously missing the showcase part of things like actually performing. But yeah, like uh, these stories come to mind too. Now I can't relate to it in a music side. I can't even replace it in a hockey side because I never played hockey. Um, But like, I I get what you're getting at because like, I find when you go on like say road trips with your friends or you're going to say a concert or an event and like, these are kind of memories that you make. And then when it gets canceled, it's like, okay, well, there goes my memories. Um, some memories you want to erase, like the one of last night. No, I'm not kidding. Um, but yo, those are like really cool memories to think of. Like, of course, was this Rosemary? Was this like the first ECMAs you were talking about that you went to? Was that the case? Uh, yeah, that was the PEI ECMAs. It was the first ECMAs okay. I ever performed at. Okay. So, like, do you guys, I know, of course, you, you kind of got Rosemary in a way to like, like, like tell that story. You tell that story now. Um, do, do any of you have similar stories? I might not just be ECMA based, but like something where I guess you kind of felt nervous, but there was someone there almost supporting you, whether it's like a local act, um, you know, friends or family that came and basically like, cause I know anytime you're trying something new, cause all of you had mentioned in your episodes, I, I think all of you, Ian, I'm not sure about you as much, but I know with the younger crowd, they had mentioned about getting bullied in school. Uh, like when they were saying, Oh, I'm going to be a singer and people were picking on them. And I was like, man, this, podcast is turning into like how to not be a bully 101 and yet i am a bully 101 um but like to your nephew (laughs) when you when you get these moments like how do you like there's obviously people that had to be there for you right like when you do your first performance that kind of helped you through it so like even if one of you want to explain like your first story of being a little bit i guess insecure and then just having someone there to help you through it and get to where you are today um, uh, the amount of times that I've reached out to many people around me, a lot of Nick Earl, like if he sees this, he will understand. I am constantly messaging him, texting him for reassurance about when I get really insecure about stuff. 
um, or about how good I am or about how good the song is. Or I remember like the music and L when we were recording the award show performances, um, I was at like literally shipping, like just excuse me, but I was like just shaking in my boots because I was going through one of those times where I was just really insecure about myself and about myself as a musician. And I didn't know if I was going to be good enough to record a good song through the award show. And Nick was there to say like, okay, well snap out of it. We're going to get over this now. And he's one of those people that always is there for me to say that. Um, and he's always there when I message him to tell me to snap out of it and to reassure me and my family is amazing at that as well, especially my mom, my momager. She's always reassuring me and helping me when I'm really, really nervous about something. I compare myself to people a lot, and that's something that I'm very open about because I think it only helps other musicians that are insecure and compare themselves to know that they're not alone in that. No matter how good you are like on the spectrum, you're always, like I said, you're always going to compare yourself with human nature. And I try not to, but I do, of course. So yeah, family is really important. A good support system is really important. Having a community like this, I know for a fact if I reached out to anybody on this live stream saying that I was insecure or I needed thoughts on this or I need help. Yeah, no, crying to sorry. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. But like, if I reached out to anybody, they would be there to tell me that I can be secure in myself and this is beautiful and I should be confident about this. And I know like the girls, especially in the community are always hyping each other up. And um, so, yeah, just being close with people and letting yourself um, be supported and reaching out for help when you need it is really important. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my two cents, but um, I definitely have a lot of close people in the community that I know that I can reach out to. And hopefully everybody else kind of feels the same, like about myself or somebody else in the community. And you totally nailed that performance that that award show was amazing. Thank you. See, there you go. There's, there's your example right there. God, I think, stop I think it. Too, I think too, like, um, cause Rachel, Nick plays like in your band when you do full band gigs, right? Yeah. yeah. I think it's so important that you have like bandmates aren't just hired to get the job done. Um, they kind of essentially become a part of your family because you're touring mm -hmm. with them. You're around them all the time. You're sharing the stage. You're sharing these anxieties and the pressure of performance and everything. And, um, it's so important to have bandmates that want to see you win. Um, they're not there for selfish reasons. Like you, they want to be part of this team. Uh, and like like you, Rachel, like a lot of my bandmates, they're the first ones that I will send new music to or I will bounce things off of uh, just to kind of get that reassurance and keep me grounded. Um, I, bandmates are definitely more than just hired side musicians. They're their family. So I think it's, it's, yeah, it's really important to make sure you have good people and um, you're surrounding yourself with people that want to, want to see you rise and want to sure. see you succeed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a really, sorry. Oh, sorry. no, I was going to add that I have a really early memory of Chris Ryan, who like is obviously seen a lot like around the scene. Um, when I did ECMAs years ago, when it was also in Nova Scotia um, and I was just a baby, had no idea what I was doing with myself. First original songs ever that I was playing on. Baby. I would listen. I was like baby, baby, like didn't know what I was doing with myself at all. And I remember Chris Ryan talking to me in that pub um, and giving me this huge, like 20 minute just life spiel telling me to like really believe in myself. Corey Tetford's done it for me before. Chris LaDrew, don't know how many life lessons he's given me. Um, so yeah, there's like people all around the place that I've gotten life lessons from, and I know that it will continue happening. And then eventually, hopefully I will also be one of those people that can, um, help out younger performers that I've also been in the shoes of because, um, 
we've all kind of been in each other's position at least once in our lives. So yeah, that's, that's my spiel. <laughs> no, I, I mean, that's a, that's a good answer. Like I always think of it when you mentioned about a course, bring it back to the community. And I mean, I don't want this to come across as like, you know, sugarcoating it or trying to put someone over as uh, Jordan would know the term over because it's wrestling. It's like when you put someone over, you're pretty much saying that they're better or they're good. Um, but in each one of your episodes, I believe one of you guys or gals had mentioned some name that like, maybe I don't know them personally, but like it's, it's brought up enough times. I'm like, Oh, well that must be an interesting person to interview or like, that's something that's a key part. Like I know example, Ian and yours, I believe Rosemary, you would put Ian over a lot in your interview. Like just how like important he was for your first record or, and the same with Rachel, I believe in your episode, I believe it was either your very first one we had John, you'd mentioned about Ian being a crucial part to kind of your success. Um, so it's kind of interesting, like, you know, it's not just, I guess, branding it for the sense of, of course, if you're a part of music NL family, it's not like they're basically saying like, listen, anytime you get on an interview, mention this person over here, will you? It's like kind of legit, sincere, where I feel like when I have interviews with family members, I'm like, do you, can you, can you mention me in some way, shape or form? It's like, Brian, this is an interview for a job. I'm like, yeah, well, can you just squeeze me in that I do a podcast? Or like, I'm not doing that for you. I'm like, thanks. Thanks, man. But at least yours comes across sincere, right? So it's all good. But I do like that. That's, it, it's not like, I guess, an excuse. Like Music NL is not down your throats. And again, I'm not putting any like hate or anything towards Music NL, but it's like, some companies or some branches, like if you sign with just say a Warner Music or um, even Sony Music, sometimes you get the act of like, hey, you can do this interview with this person, but in order for you to get, say, this big name, we're going to make you do three or four interviews along the way. Where I feel like Music NL, it's not that way. It's pretty much like, hey, I support them. They support me. It's sincere. It's not like anyone's getting something out of it by mentioning say a Nick Earl on a podcast or like, you know, even if Ian Foster wasn't here, it's like, Hey, you know, like I mentioned Ian Foster's name. So that's a couple of money in my pocket there. <laughs> <laughs> Are you paying people under the table, Ian? To talk to you? Josh, yeah. it's a fantastic idea, but I haven't. <laughs> no, it's obvious. It's yeah. It's 100% genuine. I mean, I feel I like think, you'd also have to have money in order to be able to do that. Shots are being fired here, man. Like, listen, <laughs> like, I mean, I, I think it's interesting, though, because, again, to put you guys all over, like you mentioned about the importance of a family and a community. And, of course, when you're all there for each other, like, it's not just a a show, per se. It's not just on the surface. Um, I, I kind of want to tie it into this a little bit because I want to kind of get to the game bucket or fuck it because I think that's going to be a really good idea. But um, how many of you have either seen or heard of that Friends reunion? Yes. Okay. I haven't yeah. seen it yet. Okay. I The way Kirsten said, yes, echo, echo, echo. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my like, gosh. No, because the, Friends was, I was never a Friends fan. Like, yeah, I'm sorry, my friends, one of my life. My friends loved it, and I was like, nah, I might have watched an episode here or there, but I love it now. But I haven't seen the reunion. And like, the, can the I ask that up? Oh, go ahead, Ian. Can I ask a tangential question to this? So, in the age of like constant, like Fuller House and so on and so forth, why is there not a Netflix limited Golden Girl series where Betty <gasps> is now the oldest Golden Girl and there's two other Golden Girls? That's such a good idea. Why? Just if we're talking Why about not? Money, 
Because B. Arthur wouldn't have it. That's why. You know B. Arthur. B. Arthur would not have that. She has to be the star, and she's not here anymore. So God, that's why. <laughs> I think I think that's the exact answer. I think it could happen. Ian, I think you should write the show and see if they'll hire you for that job. But we all get a percentage. We were all here in the room. Yeah, we so. all get a cut. We you know. We all get to act in it. We are the golden girls. Yeah, like, can I also say something really quickly? I'm sure. super distracted by your cat, Ian. So could you just oh. tell me if that what their name is, please? Yeah, this is. Uh, <laughs> she'll come here. She wants to is it a Siamese? What kind of she cat is, is it? Siamese. Oh. Uh, I like my favorite. Evelyn, say hello. Oh my no. Uh I've been watching her for a long time. So <laughs> it's just well, that that didn't creepy at all okay. <laughs> I didn't even know there was a gear. Neither did I. I, I. I was I was waiting for Ian to reach back and be like, what cat? <laughs> blending uh, in. She's sort of like the child from The Mandalorian more than a cat. Like she's sort of you know, she's sort of constantly getting into trouble and you know, just wants looking to adorable while doing it. And... <sighs> She's so cute, though. Now, th so the the whole reason I brought up like the Friends reunion going off of what you guys said is like I feel like sometimes when you watch reunions, like I haven't seen the French the French Prince one. I kind of want to see that one, but like there are moments that you're kind of wondering, like, do these people actually get along behind the scenes? Like, I, I if you have seen the Friends one, I'm not going to ruin it for you, but there are certain times where I'm kind of like, all right, you guys kind of openly admitted that you don't always communicate with each other, but when you do see each other, it's almost like two or three hours, everything else, like every other friend that's in that room is pretty much like, leave me alone, I'm talking to my friend, but like, sometimes it presents that self of like, it's not so much sincere as it's just is kind of forced, but I, I like how with you guys, it doesn't feel forced, but I want someone to tell me that it is forced. No, <laughs> it's definitely it's forced. forced. It is forced, Brian. <laughs> He's literally trying to stir the pot and cause drama in the music scene. He is. Uh, blame it on him. I would like to say. You know better. I would like to say it's not like it's not like you know we hang out every day or you know oh, no. that kind of thing. But yeah, when you get together with the people in the community, yeah, it's genuine. I'm not going to hang out with any of you if I don't like you. Yeah, you know? I, like, I like how Rachel but. gave me that because in full and and this is fair because I I know Rachel fairly well that I feel like afterwards she she can kick my ass. Um, but <laughs> like I remember the first time that we were having like you know starting the podcast, you were getting like Tom Power on, Mark Critch, and then uh, someone had reached out and said, "Why don't you get Rachel Cousins on?" And I was like, "All right, like okay, Newfoundland act," and I was like, "Okay, like I don't know a lot about Rachel," so I was doing a little bit of digging. And then there were certain questions I was asking Rachel. And again, it, you couldn't see, it, it's all about facial expressions. This was a phone interview. I couldn't see Rachel's expression. So like there were certain times I'm like, am I like the uncle that's yelling at like a, a preteen right now? Where it's like, why? Why don't you, you know what MSN is? Why don't you know this? What's going on here? And then she would get me so much sass back. And I was like, is this interview doing okay? <laughs> But it, but it was all okay, because she did come back on again. I, I would feel a little bit awkward if I reached out and she was like, I don't even know you. I don't want to talk to you. I think that's when you know it's genuine, though. Like, it's a oh, genuine yeah. conversation. I feel like I could tease Rachel all the time, but I'm sure there's going to be one point where Rachel's going to be like, she'll tease <laughs> me. And I will, be the eight, I will be the eight-year-old that will be like, no, that's too far. It's like, Brian, I just said you were stupid. Yeah, but that hurt my feelings. <laughs> um, are you yeah, guys... No, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that it is always genuine like in 
my experience. I mean, so if I work with people on the main level, my publisher Simba is based in Toronto. And if I'm up there and I'm meeting with people like pre COVID, I remember if I used to get meetings with people and they would ask about back home, I was always name spilling. Like I was always telling them about people back home that were just amazing, like just killing it. You really need to listen to this person. I was always doing that because I think it's so important. And I'm a person that believes in like what goes around comes around good karma so for me, I think it's so important to, even if, even if you feel like people are not doing it back for you, it doesn't hurt to like help somebody else. You know what I mean? Um, so it for my experience, it's always been genuine. It never feels like somebody's doing it just to like get their name up or anything. Um, even if we're at like, oh, like the merch fair, for example, like that huge merch fair that we were all at. Um, nobody was upset that somebody like had more customers than another person. It was like, Oh my God, your booth looks amazing. I love what you're doing here. Love what you're doing here. Everybody was literally floating around doing that. It wasn't even busy and everybody made a point to go see each other. And that's, that's one of those moments where you're just like, this is really nice. Like people are genuinely being so good about it. You can tell if somebody's not genuine when they're not happy about your success. So it means so much, especially when somebody's very successful to get a message from them and say like, congrats on this. You're doing amazing. Keep going. Keep it pushing. That's all you need to mm-hmm. say. It literally means the world. And it's so important. It's so important to not burn bridges. So doing that makes the world of difference in the music community. So for me, like in my experience in the Newfoundland music community, it's always been like that. It's always like somebody's messaging you, congratulating you, or somebody's you know commenting on something and telling you that it looks great. So yeah, I think that it's um it's really nice, and I'm very grateful for that. Like in our music community. A huge tell, too, is the fact that everyone was going around buying each other's merch. So yeah. that'll tell you. <laughs> that'll spin. tell you right there. I spent <laughs> all the my money on other I people's stuff. Like, it was odd in that way, but good, you know? I have your mm-hmm. merch, I have your merch, Ian, hanging on my Christmas tree. Well, it's, <laughs> it's in my Christmas decorations box, but yeah, it was hanging on my Christmas tree. It, it's, yes. funny, it's funny that you said this because like when you're talking about like positive feedback I mean Jordan had told me explicitly to not give him positive feedback he said like roast me and I was like I will gladly roast you Jordan um, <laughs> he was like he's like man like tell me what you think of this track and I was like I hate it and he was like great give me more feed me still like, okay <laughs> I want to hear more about Jordan's wrestling background I didn't know about this Jordan there is, um, there is a YouTube video. Go find it. Post it everywhere. Oh, it's it? hilarious. It is Have the funniest thing. About- I don't think that's what you want to hear as a wrestler. It was hilarious. Wait, what, Ian? Have you thought about, quote, the Raven integration with this wrestling past somehow? I don't know exactly. Maybe that would be a heckler thing. Yeah, no, I, I thought about it when I was in a rock band. <laughs> I definitely thought about it then. I was thinking, like, we could definitely – do a spot where we like perform in the ring and then I get thrown through a table and I'd be totally oh, down. Yeah. You know, you'd I mean? obviously but- cover Guns N' Roses get in the ring, you know? Like, <laughs> <on>. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I don't, yeah, I don't think it works with Colt the Raven. I think we're, we're too timid of a, of a group. <laughs> I don't know. Kirsten, can you think of a way? Too that awesome. I don't I think I could be a wrestler. I'd be down. You're a music video for <laughs> Dead Man's Park. <laughs> I was just going to say, Dead Man's Pond, you're Dead in Man's Pond. Dead Man's Pond. We'll, we'll go to the pond here. and throw like, someone in it. Yeah. You have Ian's with the Golden Girls. You guys just found yourself a new music video. Like, come on. Like, this is, this I, is credit. I have to give credit. I think 
uh, Kirsten's like just a uh, like thoughtful response. Like, I think I could be a wrestler. Like you waited <laughs> for the cops and were like, absolutely, I could do this. I appreciate it. I didn't expect that answer. I think for the last 10 years, we've been messing around with stuff like just trying to be musicians, but we could have been a wrestling tag team all this time. I'm, like, this I'm is... just saying, man, be yeah. stage. That's that's unique singing wrestlers. I don't know. <laughs> would you? Would you? But see, this is the problem. Would you sing your own entrance music down to the ring? <laughs> <laughs> okay, funny. wrestling is to me. God love everyone who likes it. I know Jordan does, but I find it a little bit cheesy. So I feel like that would work. We could definitely don't, do. Don't it. Think of the outfits. Yeah. The outfits. <laughs> the raven on the back and glitter. No, see what? See, in my mind now, see, Jordan will know this. It could go over everyone's head, but I'm thinking of like the Sting character where it's like two of you just come down from the ceiling and all you hear in like the audience when they want to hear your like finisher is like, caw, caw, caw. <laughs> <laughs> and then be like, and you'd be like, you are over. People love you. Why do you want to go back to the music scene? It'd be like Rocky, where it's like when he's beating up the, the meat, it's just, no, you're not going back to the music scene. People love you in wrestling. You're going to stay a wrestler. <laughs> It's like, they're going to keep throwing punches at you. And then it's like, we want to go back to music. Uh, Kirsten really doesn't like this kind of career choice. <laughs> uh, we have like two actual comments here as well. Two actual ones. Sorry, not that other ones didn't matter. But uh, Tony Carew said, what a bunch of all-stars. And Hilda, the great Hilda, said, love my Nancy and Ian Xmas decoration. So there you go, She's Ian. She's with it. She loves it. Yeah. But yeah. Actually, I've got another. This is the is the Hilda Cousins quote about blowing out your candle doesn't make your shine uh -huh. brighter. As soon as you said, I couldn't get past that. I was like, I want more Hilda Cousins quotes. Maybe that's you could write a song. I literally <laughs> want to write a full song, just full of Hilda Cousins quotes, because she is a wise woman she Hilda actually responded again and said oh my god i dropped the nancy and ian xmix decoration i'm so sorry i'm always <laughs> well, no, I, I have to confess tintin ate my christmas decoration he oh he, no they still have part of it but the the nancy and ian part is yeah it just says e <laughs> yeah it's just partially it's all chewed up right it adds yeah. character <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have it's to get a fresh now. one. I'll, I'll have to. Oh, I'll have yeah. to buy a fresh one from you. All right, guys. This is the most dramatic time. It's ready for bucket or fuck it. Um, <laughs> basically, what we're gonna do here is I'm gonna pull out something out of this. You can answer it, or you can pretty much say. I mean, if you want to keep it PG or PG, you can say chuck it. But I'll throw it out. You can answer it if you choose not to. Just say chuck it. Are you ready? Yeah. I sound so mad. Why am I, I mad? I feel like he's setting us up for our career scandal or something. Oh, yeah. yeah. Obviously. Have you guys never seen a Tobin Tonight episode? Do you realize that on Quote the Ravens episode, I almost got him to break up? Come on. <laughs> That's not a hard thing to know. Run <laughs> <laughs> the outs. Run the outs. It's, it's already over. <laughs> that is why they're in separate rooms right now. They're trying to save face for everyone to know. No. <laughs> this chair is so empty. <laughs> all right the first one that i got here these are pulled out at random i had actually asked a few people to send in some questions they might be people you actually know but i will never openly admit that um it says where were you when you first heard your song get airplay for the first time whether it be on radio whether it was like just you know some random station whatever like where were you if anyone wants to answer that one 
the car. Um, I have a video of myself and my mom in the car on the way home from Point May, which is where a lot of our family is from. And we were driving back into the city and we had to pull over because one of my first originals, Paper Heart, and July were both played on the radio. I totally forget what station it was. It might have been CIOE, possibly, but it was all on the radio. Like it wasn't oxed up or anything. It was fully on the radio. And we both pulled over and started crying and we were like cheering in the car and everything. And that was like my first real original. So I remember that very clearly because I took a video and everything. So that was my memory of it. That's when OnStar came on with like, are you okay? Have you gotten a crash? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I kind of had the same experience. Like, I remember I have a video as well of me and my dad were actually driving to Clarenville. And, you know, we were just casually listening to uh, Kicks Country, now New Country. But we were just casually listening to the radio. And, you know, Luke Bryan had come on with his new song. I think it was like Knocking Boots or something. And then he, uh, Luke Combs came on and it was his new song. And then my song that had just come out, which was Country True at the time, played right after those two artists. And I was just bawling my eyes out. I was just, I, I I was so happy, especially getting played after those two names and like not expecting it at all. It was just, it was so natural the way that it happened. And it was kind of, uh, kind of cool. Like it happened in that setting. So I, it was really cool. Actually, there's no feeling like it. I think when you first hear a product you were working on for so long in the public, like just out around. Abigail, don't tell your future husband that nothing beats that moment. He will be very sad and <laughs> depressed. No, no. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> Anyone else want to contribute or should we go to the next one? I just remember like, I, well, I don't remember I like the specific moment for my first song, but when I put out uh, little fires, my single in uh, a, couple, a couple months ago, a month ago, and, and it came on, and we have a little Bose speaker plugged in. On, not a Bose speaker. What is it? Google Google Home plugged in on the floor. And I was there on my hands and knees filming myself listening to the music next to my Bose speaker on the floor. Yeah. I mean, it has to be exciting for you guys. Like, I, I mean, I want to kind of get back into it, but a quick comment there. Like, it has to be exciting, of course, when you guys hear it for the first time, because I know way back when I was smaller and like kind of going off of Abigail's point there, like watching CMT's like Chevy top 20 and like you're seeing a Garth Brooks video then a Tim McGraw video. And then somewhere in the middle of like, you know, top 10 and an sister song comes on or a great big C and you're like, you're like, okay, like to the outside world, it's like another country music artist. Great. But like to a Newfoundlander, it's like, Oh my God, we're there with Garth Brooks and Tim McGraw. Oh my God. That is so cool. And it's like, I don't even know you, but this is great for you. <laughs> I have a, uh, I guess, a tangential story sort of connected to this. Uh, I was at uh, Trails, Tales, and Tunes a few years ago, and uh, which is a beautiful Norris Point in Gross Warren. And uh, I was on the VOBB station there, Voice of Bombay Community Radio. And Anita Best was chatting with me, and I was about to tour in the eastern seaboard United States and uh, the following week or so. So they, you know, halfway through the interview, she said, so would you like to announce your U.S. tour dates? And I couldn't help sort of be like, well, I'm not sure how many listeners of VOBB will overlap with my tour in Massachusetts and so on. And she was like, well, actually, we have internet radio here. We have a number of listeners like Frank, Frank from Pittsburgh. And I thought it was extra funny that she was like, like Frank, you know, like she knew the listener personally. And they were well aware because Frank called in a lot, you know. And I sort of made a joke and I was like, well, Frank, you know, I'm going to be in these places. And I kind of made that, you know, made it about Frank really telling Frank specifically. Uh, and three weeks later I was playing a show in West Virginia 
And as I was setting up for the show, this guy came up to me and said, hey, I'm Frank from Pittsburgh, and I heard you on VOBV, and I came to the show. And I'm like, oh, wow. that's, that's pretty so cool. cool. <laughs> See, like that could have ended, Ian. That could have ended really like terribly. Where he was like, "I am Frank from Pittsburgh. I heard you on the radio, and this is your time." And you'd be like, That's, "You'd be like, okay." The, the journey to end you. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's see what else we got here. Uh, oh, I like this one because I, I feel like I'll contribute to the first answer here. Your biggest accomplishment so far. My biggest accomplishment for me: blowing out someone else's candles. No, <laughs> just to tease Rachel. <laughs> what was your biggest accomplishment so far? Um, I, Kirsten, I don't know. Was it Americana Fest? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Like every new place feels like a huge accomplishment. It's yeah, true. but I think I think just creating a product and actually releasing it is probably the biggest thing. Like just to know that it took so much time and so many people helped make it. Um, because I don't know, like certain jobs, you, you get the product quicker than that. You know what I mean? It feel it's like a, an instant gratification for other people and, and for music. It takes so, so long sometimes to, to actually hold something that you made and you know, that, that you want to put out. So I would, I don't know. I just think releasing albums probably is is the is the biggest thing. But every new place is a really cool thing too. Playing in new places. Um, I kind of have a story. Like when I was in um, Sweden for Live at Heart Festival in 2019, that was a really big moment for me, just as an artist and a person. Um, and I was also going through so much at the time, just like personally, like emotionally and mentally. Um, just a lot of growth was going on. And while I was traveling to all these places, because after we left Sweden, after we left the festival, which went really well for myself, um, we spent basically the whole month traveling. We just got on a cruise ship and traveled all around the UK. And um, and I saw a lot of places. But while we were on this cruise, transatlantic in the middle of the ocean, I had dropped the album, like my last album that I released in 2019. And for whatever reason, it felt like this huge like epiphany for me, I guess, like so much had led up to it. And here I was in the middle of the Atlantic, far away from my support system at home. And at this point I was really homesick for people. And um, I just released this album and then it was like game time hustle. You know what it's like when you release a project where all of a sudden you're on socials for like 12 hours a day, just trying to get everything done and perfect. And I was just sitting on this boat doing all of this stuff. And it felt like a huge accomplishment that I had done everything that I had done earlier in the month and gone through so much and so much growth. And I was like, well, here's a project that is literally a chunk of my soul and it's now international. Do you know what I mean? I think albums are always so big because it's just another little piece of like your heart and another piece of what you've gone through and stories of what you've gone through. And then boom, it's down to the universe and surprise, you can't get it back. Like you're never going to just pull it completely out of the universe. You know what I mean? So those are always really big for me and releasing an album is always really emotional for me. I don't know about anybody else, but I normally cry on release day just because it's like, mm, there it is. There it goes. It's like a, like, it's like a baby. Like it's something that you've been working on for like a year plus and there it goes. It's out now. I want to see a montage of how many times you cried. Just like, like it's like oh. every album. <laughs> No, I would no. love to. I would love to hear. Also, this isn't this isn't mine, but I know that Rosemary just released a new album with all original music. 
for the first time. So I'm sure that was huge. So Rosemary, I think you should fill everybody in on that because that's pretty awesome. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, uh, I guess, like, I never, like, I've been playing Celtic traditional music for my whole life, and I've never really seen myself as much of a singer-songwriter. I, like, I put out songs, but I guess I felt like I needed a little bit more life experience to write music than, I don't know. Anyways, I finally got up the courage to put out an album of all my original music, and it's, like, the thing I'm most proud of, yeah. It's, like, it's a genre shift because we just did what... I wanted and didn't, I didn't pigeonhole myself for once and it's just exactly what I could picture it and it's something I would listen to in my free time and yeah I'm really proud of it. And it's amazing. We're just gonna oh, good. <laughs> you guys you don't have to put each other over anymore. We've been through this. Like, uh, no I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, I mean if I'm being honest because I, I, I know I teased Rachel that time about like burning out someone else's candle there but I, if I had to be honest about my biggest accomplishment it would be a hundred episodes of Tobin tonight, considering that this was only supposed to be like a five or six minute thing that, or not five or six minute thing, but five or six minute episode to basically kind of platform you into like a media job. And then I was like, yes, no, I want to keep doing this so I can do it my way because I'm a seven year old and I want to do things my way. <laughs> um, let's see what else we got here. Um, oh, here's one artist you'd like to work with. Brandy Carlisle. Dolly Parton. Lennon <laughs> Stella. Jill Henry. Nellie McCraster. <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> so many. <laughs> also, okay. Tim Baker, if you hear this, please let me write. <laughs> please. <laughs> Mallory Johnson. <laughs> Quote the Raven. I, oh, yeah, wait. Yeah, yeah. I feel like you all should like collaborate with each other on like a big Christmas album. Do that. And, I get, and, I, and I get full credit. I get all the profit. I'm sorry. That's how this thing works. No, I'm like, <laughs> um, Raven has a co-write on my album. Oh, nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. Here's one for you. I think you probably talked about this a little bit, but do you remember your first performance? I, I think I've tried to forget it <laughs> <laughs> because it wasn't with the band. I get, do you mean like I spoke the Raven? No, no, like your first just performance in general? ever. Yeah. Uh, oh, gosh. Um, I, well, I mean, I was in a play when I was younger, but I, but for music, the the, the ones that I remember the most, uh, I was in music lessons and we would have um, performances every year. And every single year for the entire time I was there, which was probably, I don't know, three, four years, I would choke. So I would start singing, choke, start to cry, and leave. And I mean, I was like, I was like 17, so I wasn't like a child. And I was like bawling and then would leave like every single time. So I tried to forget them, but thank you so much for reminding me. No, hey, listen, that is what the Toronto Maple Leafs did like two nights ago. I know. So. Oh. I mean, that's either. Oh. Um, Listen, I can say that because as I showed Mallory in the art, look, look. <laughs> I'm just happy I also got Fred's merch at home. That's how I feel about the game the other night. <laughs> Although they're not in it either, so. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. What else do we have? Let's see. I want to see, if, like, okay, some of these are actually really good. That I, and I, I'm trying to pick them out, but let's see this one. Oh, uh, I don't know how this one's going to go over. 
Would you rather win a Juno Award or be ranked as a top 10 artist worldwide? And keep in mind, the Juno's around the corner. <laughs> I mean, you guys, you guys, remember, remember your options. You can still say chuck it. <laughs> can we go back just for one second to the performance thing? Because I just had this memory. Yeah, yeah go, go for it, Ian. I, I won the Kiwanis Music Festival for this original composition when I was a teenager. My whole and thing just gave... froze up for a second. Sorry. <laughs> What's that? Oh. <laughs> um, so I won the Kiwanis Music Festival when I was a teenager for this original composition. It was the first time I'd ever won anything in music for this performance. And when they gave me my sheet to say I was the winner, it was to Ian Foster. F-U-S-T-E-R. And it reminded me, I don't know if you've all seen that Simpsons episode where like Bart is trying to buy the license plate and it's all Bort. Bort license plates instead of Bart. And he's like, why is everything Bort? You know, and like, because there's no Fuster. There is no last name Fuster. But my dad, I still remember my dad like getting a felt marker and like curving the U so it would, like he did it himself to make it Ian Foster on the thing. That was my first musical live experience. I'm gonna call you Foster from now on. Ian Foster. I mean Foster I feel like I feel like isn't that like the pain that we all feel at some point when you go to like any city and you look for a keychain from that city and it's not spelled like I look for B R Y A N and it's like you're an I. You're that's what are you why are you spelling your name right. with a Y? I'm like, please Please. But like, mine's an imaginary one. Like, how many clusters have you met in your life? You know what I'm saying? Maybe someone just didn't like it, Ian. Maybe they were like, take that out loud. <laughs> they're like, in. they begrudgingly gave me the award. So they're like, let's yeah. steal it. It's like the last name Cousins. Like, you're not going to find that anywhere. It's like when I yeah. spell it out for anybody, they're like, cousin, like, E-N-S? No, like the family member. Oh, okay, got it. Like, you're not going to find it anywhere. And my first name, Rachel, I, half my family doesn't even spell it right anymore. It's just A-E-L all the time. So it's an interesting one. It seems like it'd be simple, but it's not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when growing up, it was Kristen and K-I-E. Mm -hmm. You could find K-I-E-R sometimes, but you could never find my name no. for anything. So... I think I think you're right. We've all had those. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> even even in our interview with uh, with you two, I think I was after saying like Kirsten, Kristen. Then you're like, it's Kirsten, and I was just like, there's a part of me as like, okay. So in full disclosure to you guys, when I butcher someone's name, like as much as I can like post edit it after, there's a part of me that just wants to like fucking like <laughs> turn down the laptop and be like, oh fuck, <laughs> this interview's done. I quit. <laughs> What happened? We only got in three seconds and he already quit on us? I'd be like, yes. Because nah, I think it's my own fault because I don't usually tell anyone. Like, if you were to say my name to to me, like in person, and you said it wrong, I wouldn't even think about it. It's only when we do interviews that I'm like, ah, oh. I mean, I guess it would be nice if they said it right, but it's my own fault because I just let people get it wrong. I, I it I've never got, has bothered me really. I, I've got like pretty much to a friend's kind of reference where they kept on calling, uh, I think it was like Chandler in his office. They, the guy didn't call him Chandler, they called him Toby. And he's like, yeah, but I really wanted a donut. So I let him call me Toby. I think when my first year at Carlton being a Newfoundlander, people were calling me Byron, Brain, uh, Branton, and I was like, "Where the? F it's not even Brandon." And then I was like, "I don't have the balls or courage to tell them that they're wrong." So I'm like, "So I mean, at some, I'm sure at there was a one house party that someone's like, have you met Brandon over here?'" I'm like, "Oh shit, this is going to shit right now. It's going to blow up my face because she's going to say, you mean Brian?'" And then he's going to be like, 
how the hell did you let me go six months calling you Brandon? I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I, I couldn't. <laughs> I, yeah. like, on such a more basic level, like I, I, uh, I work as a teacher. And so I have a work email that they provided me with and they spelled my name Rose Mary, two separate words. And that just got right under my skin. And, but I, I didn't want to say anything. And, and then I was like, how long, so how long is, is this possible to change yourselves? And they were like, no, like this is your email for your entire career. I was like, so if I teach for 30 years, my name is going to eventually just change over time. And so then I finally plucked up the courage because I was like, I don't want my name to be Rosemary for eternity, separate words. I, I don't know. It's just a little thing, but I was literally like, Every time it's I got an name. email, and then people yeah. would type my name in emails. They would type my name, and they would type it separately because that's what my email was saying my name was. And I was like, no, 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 we can't, no. Yeah, we've we've even done an interview where we had to write down our own name, and I wrote it down, and on the screen it was still wrong. So I'm like, <laughs> I just feel like there's no point in <laughs> like reminding people. I'm just like, oh, as long as you know my music, yeah. you know, I'm okay. I've, you can uh, call me whatever. I've, I've told this story at a couple of shows, but when I was a kid, there was a, uh, I was a giant fan of Canadian music icon, Brian Adams. And uh, I'm not ashamed to say, and there was a show that he did at the Avalon mall for free outside of the gap one year in the mid nineties. And I went uh, to see the show and get an autograph from Brian Adams on waking up the neighbors, my favorite Brian Adams album. How could it not be? Um, so I was like number 200 in line, you know, to get my autograph signed. And I finally got to the front and I'm like shaking cause I'm like meeting my, my idol, my teenage idol, you know? And, uh, he said, uh, you know, Hey there. And I go, Hey, and he goes, how's it going? And I'm like, good. And I slide the album over to him to sign. And he goes, what's your name? And I go, Ian. And he goes, Dean, and starts to write Dean. And I go, no, it's Ian. And I scream at Brian Adams. And I, he jumped. Like, I scared the shit out of Brian Adams at the Avalon Mall. And I still have the copy of Waking Up the Neighbors, where it's like I, and then it's like D turned into an A. And yeah. I feel like Ian, man, you just get, like, the worst luck with stuff. It's like Fuster, and then now people call you Dean. Like I feel like in, in the future, someone's going to give you an award, and it's called like Dean Fuster. <laughs> I mean, that's all you Dean look at. Well, the idea that I'm essentially a cigarette to Brian Adams' life, like I've shortened his life by seven minutes, kind of makes me happy. I think you need to make two stickers. One of them says, I'm a cigarette in Brian Adams' life. And also another one that says, I scared the shit out of Brian Adams at the Avalon Mall. I think, I'm just saying, I just... That should be an album. That should be an album cover. People would just be like, there's your egg. There's Brian your egg. Adams' that's, cigarette. That's what I do <laughs> the hotels as. You know, oh, the Dean Foster room. Interesting. Yeah, there, there you go. You know, like people come up with like different names for themselves or like a hidden, I guess, name. Like I know at one point, I'm trying to remember, like Garth Brooks came out with like a totally different album and I wasn't even Garth Brooks. That's you, Ian. You oh, just man. become Dean. Listen, there's no need to bring up Chris Gaines, okay? He had this whole patch and that was a different time. I mean, you know what? I will give him credit because it still sounded better than Creed. You know why? Because Creed's like, oh, the arms, one hold on. It's like, no, close your arms. I do not want to come to someone who shouts at me like that. 
we have another one here. Uh, what would you like to change about the music industry? Ooh. Interesting. I'd like to get money from my streams. Yeah. Mic drop. I don't. I don't. Yeah, that would be nice. I, I agree. Hilda said, "Someone check on Jordan. Jordan, you're okay." <laughs> because he couldn't stop laughing. I think he was oh. having a little bit of a fit. I, <laughs> Dean Fustro is never leaving me. That's the thing. It's never leaving me. I have a good one about what I'd like to change about sure. the music industry. I, um, if you know me, I've always said that I hate how genres work. I think it's stupid. I think that um, the expectation for artists to just have a genre for every album and like that be your genre, it really gets under my skin. I don't know why. I love that there's artists out there now like, okay, we'll just talk mainstream just so people know what I'm talking about. But like people like Ariana Grande and Billie Eilish are two artists right now that are reinventing themselves like every album. Taylor Swift does it literally every album. She reinvents herself and has this new genre. And that's what I have done. Like, I mean, you look at This Fire versus Rachel Cousins, like the self-titled album and what I'm doing now, completely different things. And that used to scare me at first because people would say, you're going to scare your audience away. People aren't going to want to listen to you. And I've always said back, I'm like, okay, but I wrote this album when I was 16 and now I'm 20. So I don't know how I'm supposed to, for me, genre is like one of those things that just grows with me. And I write how I want to write. I've written stuff with like Nick Earl, which sounds completely different than what I write. And I think that that's sick. Like I don't, I hate that there's like this expectation for a genre for every album. Um, and like an aesthetic, I hate that music has now just become like, you need to be aesthetically pleasing to make it and stuff. I think that it's weird, um, especially for mainstream like pop radio, it needs to be like, it needs to fit this aesthetic. Um, and people look at your genre all the time to make sure that it's like cohesive and you're just like plateaued all the time. Um, but I think it's so cool that artists, I love that some artists have this genre that they're so comfortable in. I think that's just as sick as an artist who says, no, I'm going to reinvent myself completely. Taylor Swift, like the Red album versus like her recent stuff, completely different. And I think that's so cool. And she still has fans that absolutely eat it up. I think that your real fans are going to love what you do regardless, really. And if they don't, then that's cool. They can listen to the old albums. So that's one thing that really is my pet peeve about music industry is how important genre is. And genre is just like, what even is it? It's like the lines between this type of music versus this. And that could literally be an acoustic guitar and a difference. It's just really weird to me. I like your point there because, like, when you're naming, of course, the mainstream stuff, like, I to kind of bring it full circle in a way, like, you know, if you knew the Ennis sisters before they were, say, on like CMT or Great Big C before they were on, like, you know, much, or, well, yeah, CMT, I guess, much and some, some, much more at the time. But it's like, you know, you'll be like, oh, well, I know Newfoundland. I know Eyes to Buy. I know, like, Out from St. Leonard's. And then you see them perform a little bit more of a pop song. I always give people like when they say oh taylor swift was your first crossover i'm like well garth brooks was a bit of a crossover shania twain was a bit of a crossover i mean i'm a big fan of the 1975 but like does it mean i like every song no, no. i mean i like certain ones not listen to them um right. like even you know blink 182 tom DeLonge went from being blink 182 to you know angels and airwaves follow-up boy does not have every single song the same so like i feel like it's a little bit more common but like, yeah, like to your point, like there is still that genre divide of like, this has to be here, this has to be here, this has to be here. Like when you were mentioning about being 16 compared to writing it now, it's like, I love Simple Plan. 
I've had Simple Plan on this podcast, so I don't. So if someone wants to come at me, you come at me. But like some of those songs, I'm just like, dude, you're not 17 anymore. Like, don't want to go to bed, fine. But there's a lot of songs where it's like, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that. It's like, I don't want to be mad. It's like, okay, but you're now like 40, and I feel like sometimes your audience is still 14. Like, you can write a song about being 40 to a 40 year old. Like, some 41 went from being like this kind of pop punk and then there's some songs that are a little bit more i guess emo or moody and i'm okay with that because i'm growing with them so you know i feel like it's a little bit more open and i guess people appreciate it or will dive in more than back in the old like the old day where it's like i can't believe garth brooks did this to me it's like relax you're not meeting garth brooks <laughs> i got i'll just oh, oh sorry rachel you go ahead no you no, no you go ahead I was just going to just add that I think us as artists or us as songwriters or musicians, um, our job is to create the art and do what's authentic to us. Um, and I think the genre thing is for everybody else to figure out. Mm-hmm. You know, if they want to put that in a box, let them do that. But you just keep creating what you want to create and not worry about placing a song in a genre because that's what, you know, that's what media is supposed to do. That's what award shows are supposed to do. Um, I mean, I know you have to apply for some of those things, but it's, it's, it should be an afterthought as opposed to worrying about that at the time when you're creating. Yeah, I totally agree. And I like to go with the music growing with you as a person. Um, I, I have this really like vivid memory of when I first performed Let Go at Bell Media. Kirsten, I'm sure that you, Kirsten, I'm sure that you remember this year when we sang, um, we wrote that song together. It was like about bullying and stuff. That was the exact same year as Let Go. And I remember when I performed Let Go for the first time, um, Chris Kirby had pulled me down afterwards and he was like, oh my God, this is really mature for you. And now Let Go is just like what it is. Like nobody, nobody like questions it anymore. I just find like, it's so weird that like, there's like this fine line between your age and like what you can sing here and like what you can create here. And then there's like this stuff. And of course it's, it's just like how it's going to be. People are going to perceive it like that all the time. But I don't know. I just think it's funny how like music grows with you as a person. Cause summer loving is completely different than anything that was on this fire, but that's not a bad thing. It's just because at that time I was in a completely different stage in my life. And I think that it's easy for audience members and especially social media influences and stuff. Um, or even people that review music to say, oh, this is really, like, strange. Billie Eilish is always accused of it. Oh, this is really mature for her age. But, like, do you know that, though? Because I don't I don't know. I just have never understood the genre and the age thing about music. Because you, everybody's at different points in their life at different times. And you're going to write music depending on how you feel, not on what you need to produce. That's just, for me, anyways. Like, I don't like thinking about what I need to produce before I produce it. Because it never feels authentic to me, and I'll never like it when I release it. So yeah, I don't know. That's things for that just- for let go though. That's still like one of my favorite songs. Yeah, like, I'm not even kidding. But I think it was, it was. I think it was just like it was so different from what you did before. But like you're mm-hmm. saying, it's not a bad thing. It was like not a shock, but I was just kind of like, oh my gosh, this is not. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect. I didn't expect this, but I still right. loved it. It was yes. just in a different way, and. I don't know, like me and Jordan have kind of found the same thing because originally we were like, oh, we're folk. And then it was kind of like, oh, we wrote a country song. So maybe we're country. And then Mm -hmm. it's just kind of this weird thing of, oh, well, some of our songs are super catchy. So does that mean it's pop? Like, I I don't know. And so I think it's, yeah, I 
I mean, I totally agree. We went, we went to Nashville to the Americana Fest and we were like, there's rock bands on the stage. There's folk acts on the stage. There's country on the stage. So for us, we decided to take Americana as a genre just because it was so inclusive of so many things. But it's, it's so true. Like, it's so hard, especially when you have to fill it out for yourself because you're just kind of like, it's so many things. And I don't want someone to read this and be like, oh, it's country. Or like, oh, it's folk, because that's not necessarily true. So I totally know what you mean. Yeah. Now, yeah, yeah, Rosemary, like I seen your comment there. So like, again, any guy, any of you that have to dip out, feel free to dip out. I, I'm just going to pull out maybe like two or three more from this and then just clue it up. Because I know I said an hour, but I figured the bucket or... See you, Rosemary. Was, See you guys. I, I figured the bucket yeah. or chocolate idea was a pretty good idea. And I, and I think you guys are engaged. But again, if you feel like you got to dip out, that's fine. Um, but no, yeah, I accidentally cut off. It's because my phone died. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I want to go off of Rachel, what you said earlier about the age thing, because, you know, again, I think a lot of us are open and honest here for me when I was doing the beginning episodes of my podcast, and maybe I did it with your first interview as well, where like when someone at say 14 or 15, we have on or 16 and they're talking about like heartbreak and stuff. Like there is a part of me that's a little bit cynical. And I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean heartbreak? What have you gone through at 16 for heartbreak? And then it's like, then when they give you a really in-depth answer, you're like, well, what have I gone through for heartbreak? <laughs> like, damn, you've gone through more. I'm a Leafs fan, but still, like, you've gone through more heartbreak than I have. <laughs> um, but in saying that, like, I do find when you have acts on, like, depending on what you said, like, just, there are deeper meanings. Like, I give the example, I guess, of, uh, I believe it's like Tennille Towns. Is that correct? Where... You know, the first time I've heard one of her songs, it was more, I guess, upbeat and poppy. And I was like, oh, great. Like, and then I I heard, I think it's like, when I meet your maker. And I was like, fuck, like, that is dark. But like, there's still a part of me. It's like, how are you singing about this at the age you were? But then like, again, you don't know the person's experience. You don't know what they've gone through. So like, someone could gone through some deep stuff at 16 that you might have never experienced at 40. So like that can make the difference in a, in a song, but I kind of have to agree with you, Rachel, in that sense, which I know you're like, what? I'm surprised. Tobin's agreeing with me. I mean, I songs don't have to be autobiographical, obviously, you know, I was going to say that songwriter is, is being a storyteller. I mean, mm-hmm. I hope that Jason Isbell hasn't lived every story on Southeastern for his sake. <laughs> and the other people in the murder ballots on that album, you know, but, uh, but that's it. It's, you know, it's about storytelling. It's about empathy. It's about putting yourself in other shoes, you know? So mm-hmm. I don't, I, I don't know if that has a, an age limit on either side, really. No, I completely agree. I was going to say that too. I don't know how many songs I've written that I know nothing about. It's just the, the fun about being um, a songwriter is like the same as being a painter. It's like you get a blank canvas and you can just do what you want, even if you haven't really experienced that before. It's just one of those things about being a songwriter. I think that it's one of those gifts that you get as a songwriter and as a musician that you're able to tell stories about other people that you haven't gone through. I think that that's like, I don't know, that's one of the things that I love about being a songwriter. Um, and it's even better when people can come up to you and say, I really relate to this song. And you're like, okay, perfect. It was literally written for, for you. Like that was written for you because maybe it wasn't something that I connected to at the time, but somebody did. So I obviously wrote it for a reason. You know what I mean? It's really like validating and really rewarding when you write a song, not even about yourself, but obviously somebody's going to connect with it out there. I mean, there's like seven point something billion people. So somebody's going to hear and connect to it regardless. 
All right. So I've got yeah, three one more. of the kind of oh, pivotal moments for me, I guess, in learning about songwriting is uh, there's a great VH1 storytellers with Springsteen where he plays uh, a bunch of songs from his album Devils and Dust. And he does that title track and uh, and he, he breaks it down. You know, he starts talking about, you know, OK, lyric by lyric, literally goes through the thing, talks about the Iraq war at the time, which was, you know, around the time that he was writing the piece and about being about a soldier and faith and all these things. And at the end of describing it all, he says, now, how many of those things was I thinking about when I wrote the song? None of them. I was thinking about all this at my kitchen table last night, trying to figure out what I was going to say in this session. How many of the things did I feel at the time? All of them. And I think that that's such a fascinating way. This, the amount that I guess we internalize before, yeah. before writing something, you know, taps into something deeper than just the basic story. Definitely. They have okay, so I got three more here, and then we'll just clue it up there. But like, um, so this, this one is: What are some of your pet peeves? I this hate it. Like last okay. <laughs> right? No, I have a good one. But Mal, you go first. I, have a good one. I hate it when someone comes up to you and they're like, "You don't know me, do you? Or you don't remember me, do you?" I will never like, remember. So that yes, just makes it awkward for everybody involved, even if you do remember them. I just make them feel so good about it. I'm like, of course I remember you, and I don't even say why. I don't have to. You don't have to. You just say, of course I remember you. How have you been? How's everything? Always, How's your life? I always I greet people too. I'm just like, oh, it's so nice to see you. Instead of it's so nice to meet you, just in case I have met them before, and then they're the ones that feel awkward. They're like, like oh shit, have we met? Have we met? Like, it's nice to see you. So I just yeah. <laughs> just avoid that. I don't remember anyone, so that would be terrible. That would be really terrible if people were to do that to me. I feel so bad all the time because Jordan remembers everyone, and he's like, we only just talked to them, like, last month. And I'm like, okay, like, what's the name? And give me, like, a scenario that will, like, my exactly, I'm exactly the same way. I just tell people I'm really bad with names, faces, and voices. Like People get really offended, though, and it makes me sad because I, I really don't mean to. I just have a really bad memory. But I, would, mm -hmm. I think, for me, it's um, – there's a lot, I don't know, I don't like mouths very much, so um, I don't want to watch someone brush your teeth. If you're coming out and talking to me while you're brushing your teeth, I might throw up. I cannot do it. I also lock the door when I brush my teeth. Don't I have to brush my teeth. My boyfriend does that too. Does he? Yeah, I'm like, do not look at me. I'm brushing my teeth. Like, I don't know why. I don't like to share food a lot. I don't want to see your gum. Like, I don't know. I have a weird... I don't know. That That's was a weird thing. Enough, I didn't believe you were talking about mouths. I was like, she didn't say mouths. Just the <laughs> mouth that you randomly hated on mouths. And I didn't believe. I thought I missed it. No, it's I have very, a weird. I have a weird it, thing. So it's oddly. It's oddly specific. It's very, but like, you know what? Like, I'll go on a limb and say, like, one of my pet peeves. I, I guess it's that it's somewhat of a pet peeve, but like. When people are eating around me, I don't want to eat. Like, I don't want to eat around people. And okay. that used to drive people crazy up away because you'd all go out. You'd all have, like, five or six of you going out to, like, a meal, like, post-soccer, post-hockey. Brian, what are you getting? Uh, nothing. They're like, you're weird. You're just going to watch us eat? And I'm just still like, yeah. And, and they're like, are you going to eat something after? I'm like, yeah, when I get home. 
and they're like, what's wrong with you? It's just weird because like that, it's not so much a pet peeve, but I think what makes me think it's a pet peeve is that people then have a conversation with food in the mouth and they're like, remember that time? And I'm like, yeah, and now half your food is on my plate. So I remember that time and I remember half of what you ate. <laughs> no. No, this is why I think I can't have kids as well. I hope that if I ever was to have one, I would be okay with it. But I, I mean, I would, I would, have I would love to see your kid on the struggle. first day of school. I haven't eaten all day. My mom won't let me. She doesn't <laughs> like mouths. <laughs> um, I think my biggest pet peeve. Hi. Hi. How is it? What's your pet peeve? Tell us. <laughs> my pet peeve? Yeah. Oh, that's a long list. Ian. <laughs> Just tell us what isn't your pet peeve. <laughs> um, oh gosh. You know it's funny. When when you're in the midst of experiencing a pet peeve, you're like, oh my god, I hate this. Like you're like internally fuming. But when someone says mm -hmm. what's your pet peeve, I'm like, I'm so chill. I don't have any pet peeves. <laughs> Kirsten's pet peeve is mouths. In general? Just in general. Just <laughs> Yeah, sort of. Like, not really. Not, like, the look. Of not to look at them. Mm, yeah, sometimes. It's but it's more. It's more like people. Yeah, like if you see people's food or like brushing their teeth or gum or that kind of Just thing. It's not really. It's not really. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I got another I, one. Go for it. Uh, cliche, like quotes that people like put on put on their walls. Like the live, love, laugh thing, like, mm -hmm. or love you to the moon and back. Yep. Two degrees. Two degrees. Two degrees. Like, be like back tattoo. Like live, love, laugh. What was that pillow we saw at Chapters? Oh, that was a great one too. Yeah, I remember seeing a pillow at Chapters that said collect moments, not things. And I died. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. so ironic. But I'll also buy this pillow? I would yeah. buy it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think my biggest pet peeve. Many pet peeves. Uh, a dirty feet going like on like a bed or a couch. Oh, and, like if mm -mm. do you know what I mean? No. Like mm -mm. like you have dirty socks or someone hasn't taken their mm -hmm. slippers off or something. I'm like ah ah. I, think mm -hmm. I just saw Rachel throw them in her mouth when you said that. I, yeah, yeah, that's one of my biggest pet peeves. My boyfriend knows when he comes over if he's gonna sit on my bed, he needs to make sure that his socks are not like fuzzy and like yeah. like full of hair like dog hair and stuff because yeah. I can't no, do it. I just eat it. Or like take your socks off. I just I, mm. or like outside clothes, like work clothes on my bed. No. Yeah. Is no, that no. why he yeah. just tweeted, I I am dating a neat freak? No. <laughs> <laughs> and my other biggest pet peeve is closed minded people. Like people who are just so closed off to anything other than what they do. Or people who make really strict rules and like that's all that they know and they don't want to hear about anything else and they question everything that you believe in and they're very close-minded to anything other than what they do and they think that everything that they do is correct it drives me bonkers yeah that and the idea that it's not just that you're closed-minded you're not willing to to have a discussion or you're not willing to even to hear about it just to hear you know what, to guys, I, 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 I don't want to hear about it i just don't care no i don't want to hear about it no, 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 no. <laughs> there you go Exactly. <laughs> Who needs to learn? Yeah, yeah. Learning, learning is for learners. Okay, we are not learners. We are tellers. Um, <laughs> there you go. There's, there's a quote for you. Put that on a pillow. We it are not learners. Like very like Trump conversation, like very conservative esque conversation. <laughs> Abigail, I feel like you haven't said anything. Do you have a pet peeve? Um, 
the biggest one would probably be, and this is for me too, like a pet peeve that I don't want to do, I guess, like, um, is probably being like late. Like I always love to be early. Like I think there was a quote by like Eric Dickey or someone. And it was like being early is on time. Being on time is late and being late is unacceptable. So I think, and I don't know why that always sticks in the back of my mind, but it's like, I can't be late. Like I always mm -hmm. have to be like 15 minutes early or it's like gone. And she's true to the point. She was actually like one of the first ones in here besides Ian, like 10 minutes early. So good for her. But <laughs> I would I would have loved it if she had to like, okay, so this is like the roasting part. This is like the roasting part of me or like the part that Rachel probably says is like the dick. Or like the the arse in me, but it's like I really wanted her to say I hate when people point out what my pet peeve is. I hate when people tell me to give me my pet peeve. <laughs> I get like sunshine as a person. She would never. She's literally like a little sunbeam as like a person. So this, this I love that. that. This is why no one asks me on a panel because I just be really sarcastic. It's like Brian, what's your pet peeve? My pet peeve is when people ask me what my pet peeve is. Thanks a lot, Gary. <laughs> No, Abigail's like that person that you want in a room because she's like, oh, her phone died again. But she's literally, like, whenever she would come over to collaborate at my house, she's literally just like a sitting puddle of, like, sunshine. Like, she's just so, like, happy to be there. You know what I mean? I just love people like she's that. not jaded just, yet. That's yeah. so nice. <laughs> just <kidding. laughs> No, but she is, though. Like, I just love people that are in a room like that because she always is just, like, so happy to be here. So grateful to be here. It's so nice. It's so refreshing because, like, couldn't be me. I'm a little bit, I'm not good enough to do that all the time. <laughs> all right. We'll go with the last one. Cause I, I mean, I don't want her to try to like come back in and then her phone die again. And we already lost Rosemary. So I don't want it to go too longer. And you guys are all looking at me like, fuck, this guy's horrible. Um, but, <laughs> uh, what is your goal for 2021? To get in my car and drive to a gig. No, <laughs> to tour. To travel, yeah. Yeah. To work with Dean Fustro. Fustro is even better. I'm here to tell you your dreams can come true. Yes! <laughs> but I want to co-write right with all of you. I, I'm going to get a wrestling outfit. It's, it's <laughs> all right. I think we have time for just one more because that one was really quick. But let's see. What are, okay, we did that one. I, I probably just put it back in here. Oh, here you go. Uh, basically, oh, here you go. What is the best and worst advice someone has ever given you? Um, I will go first just because I want to kind of set the mood here. The best advice I was ever told was, and kind of maybe the worst advice when you were younger because you don't want to hear it, is to be yourself. I know it's cliche, but that's pretty much the best advice I think anyone can give anyone is, hey, so, similar to what Hilda would tell Rachel, is be yourself. Don't, you know, put out someone's candle. Clearly, I don't listen to that. I put out many candles. Uh, <laughs> but pretty much be yourself. If you're weird, be weird. If you're that, like, if, if you're out in the ordinary, like, if you're not involved with sports, if you don't play basketball or hockey, embrace it. You'll find it later down the road. Like, I believe it's in, like, a, um, if it's not in How I Met Your Mother, it's in a Big Bang Theory where I think Leonard gets up to do a speech and he tells basically the jocks, your time is over. It's like, it's my time now. I'm like, I, I get it. It's pretty much like, this is your high school. You had your moment. Now this is the real world. You either like, you know, you'll either embrace it or it's, it is what it is. So that's like, I think the best advice someone's ever given me. Abigail's back. Hey, Abigail. Um, the worst <laughs> advice, the worst advice I think anyone's ever given me 
was to change. Basically, like when I was doing a podcast and they're like, man, no one wants to hear musicians anymore. You can check out musicians on Spotify. No one wants to hear what they do day to day. I'm like, I do. I want to hear what they do day to day. Um, you know, don't try to interview big acts. You're never going to get them. Uh, Ian actually was made me feel over the moon when I asked Ian to come on. He's like, I would love to do a podcast where you had Bob Saget on. I was like, okay, we are rolling. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the best advice and worst advice someone's ever given me. Uh, feel free to take it away, either one of you, with best or worst. I think the, the best advice that I've kind of learned over the years is the worst thing anyone's going to tell you is to go fuck yourself. <laughs> that's literally, and that's the worst thing that someone could say to you. And, and then you just go, okay, I, I don't want to talk to that person anymore. And then there's like Rachel was saying, there's 7 billion other people he can go talk to them. It's, it's, it's pretty magical. I think, I think we get in our heads as artists all the time saying like rejection, 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 but it's, you're not going to work well with everybody. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to find relationships with everybody that you work with. It's the relationships that last. It's the relationships with the people who listen and care about your music that actually matter at the end of, uh, at the end of the day. So. Um, so I, I recently did um, this virtual, this big virtual show called Wise Woman, the show. And a part of this series was all the ladies shared pieces of advice, which to me, I think that was my favorite part of the show. And when we filmed it, it was like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. Like, that's so true. And it was just really cool to hear the stories and the advice. And one of the pieces of advice that really stuck out to me um, that one of the gals said was that nobody knows what they're doing in the music industry. Um, if they did, we would have like a handbook or like 101 being like, this is how you can be successful in the industry. Um, and it's just because it's all opinions about art. Um, so what somebody might love, somebody else might hate. Uh, going back to what Jordan said, like you're not going to please everybody. You're not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but you will be somebody's cup of tea. And if you love what you do, then you just keep doing that. If it makes you happy, that's that's what matters. Um, and yeah, nobody knows what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Some of it works, some of it doesn't. Works for other people, doesn't work for other people. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, I think that the best advice I've received is like kind of the same idea as the candle, but like somebody else's success does not mean that you are unsuccessful. That's really important. And also um, trusting yourself and trusting your intuition and your gut feeling huge it has saved me so many times from situations that i am very grateful i didn't get myself into um especially as like a young female artist like there have been some situations where um it's just shady and you don't know if somebody is like trying to take advantage of you for money or for your art and stuff and trusting my gut feeling since i could understand my intuition um, was really really important and my mom always always taught me that that i know myself better than anybody else does um, I think that the worst piece, piece of advice like that has gone around, especially in the music industry, is that there's like there's just this certain destination that you're trying to get to. I don't like the idea of that. I don't understand the idea of like making it. I don't know what that means. Like in my head, you you've never really made it. I think that you make your own success. Um, I think that I would live a very miserable life if I had the idea of making it somewhere. I don't think I'd ever be satisfied with myself, which is a good thing and a bad thing. Um, I mean, there's always somebody trying to get into your spot um, or not even getting into your spot, but there's always somebody 
behind you and ahead of you. And so I don't like the idea of trying to make it to this one destination instead of just absorbing the journey to get there. It's so cliche and like cheesy. Like it's a journey, not a destination, but it is really true. I think that you're going to burn yourself out so young and end up hating a really beautiful career choice um, by trying to make it somewhere when there's not really an idea of making it. You look at big A-list celebrities and say like, oh, they've made it. But I mean, they go a year without an album and then everybody's over them. Like, it's just really weird to me, the idea of making it somewhere. I don't know. I think that it can make people really miserable in a career that, that should not be miserable. You're making art for people. It's so cool. So yeah, that's, um, that's like the worst and best advice I've heard. Abigail, what about, what, what do you got? What's your best and worst advice? Uh, I don't know about worst advice, but one of the best pieces of advice I ever, I guess, encountered upon or was told about was one time when I was meeting Tim Hicks. And I always talk about this because it's like such, it, it just always sticks with me. And it's that music or what you're working to as a career is like a muscle and you have to keep working this muscle in order for it to get better. And I just think that I, I've just always carried that, like, you're not going to get anywhere if you don't put in the hard work and you put in the effort. And I think especially what we're all doing, we're all trying to put in our best effort and, you know, work as hard as we can to achieve whatever goal it might be that we're trying to achieve, you know? That's fair. Has anyone, has anyone not gone yet for their best and worst? I guess me. Um, I guess the golden rule is the best thing. I know that sounds cheesy, but, uh, and, and I guess the, the part that's obvious is the, you know, treat others well, you would want to be treated well, but I think that applies in so many other ways within your career. You know, a lot of choices that I've made uh, from everything from the type of merch that I've wanted to make to uh, choices when it comes to uh, certain kind of show environments that I wanted to establish and play for myself. It's all based on the idea of like what, you know, the bands and, and other artists that I've admired and how I would, I would like to see that as a fan. So maybe I'll try to do my version of that as an artist, you know, and it's, that's, that's guided me in a lot of choices, you know, uh, like listening rooms, for instance, you know, the, just the type of music that I play, I, I really try to gear towards, um, you know, whether that's house concerts, if it's a place that I, you know, I'm new to the area and I'm playing to a small audience, I'd still rather play to 20 or 30 people attentively listening, you know, uh, and, and I've attended those shows for artists that have come here for the first time and they've been transcendental to me. And that's, you know, that's a big piece of it. So just an example of how I guess the golden rule is applied in my life in numerous ways other than just be, be nice to people. Um, bad advice. I mean, I think it's probably been said somewhere in here about, you know, like streaming is the way or to be honest, fill in the blank is the way because I don't think there is one way for sure. I mean, the world, the music world is more fragmented than than ever. Now, there's so many paths to success. What success even is, is so personal in so many ways. And even if you try to do a checklist like, well, financial, well, there's lots of ways to become financially independent within the music industry and and there's different choices to be made and the careers that are financially sustainable you know i could line up five artists that have financially sustainable careers and they would look completely different in every way not just the type of music those artists make but the choices they make the type of venues they play if they even play venues you know it, it's all open you know more than ever which you know you can feel daunted about that or you can feel inspired about that you know 
Um, so anybody who tells you they know the answer, they're they're lying. <laughs> I, I liked all your answers, to be honest. Like out of all those questions that we did, uh, though, of course, guys, the last thing that I'm going to say is, you know, uh, it was great to have you all on. Hopefully, one day we can get to do this in person in an actual venue with people so that people can, you know, yell and scream and tell you what their favorite song is that you guys did or, you know, say, oh, yeah, I listen to Tobin tonight and I hate the host. He's total stupid. And I'd be like, thank you. Thank you a lot. Like, you know, I, I even got a fresh new haircut for this, you know. But anyway, uh, thanks, you guys, for coming on. The last real big question, million-dollar question here is, what is your favorite part about being on this podcast? Conversation and community. <laughs> Yeah, I, I really like this because it was more of, of just chatting, which I think is the best kind of interview and getting everyone's like opinions. And it was really just relaxed. I loved mm -hmm. it. I love when uh, musicians are on a podcast and they talk about like personal things and not just get on and like do a little ditty. It's like you actually get on and talk and you get to know about a musician. That's like my favorite way to get to know a musician is when they just sit down without an instrument and they just like reveal themselves and it's so nice and um, you get to know them as a person. I like really appreciate it as a, as a musician, somebody getting to know me just as a person and without having to listen to me do a little ditty, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think it's great that we get to come on here and, you know, see people that we've worked with or people that we haven't gotten the chance to work with yet. And it's just cool to be amongst this community and with a, just such a great group of people. Yeah. And like, if you ever connect down the road, right? Like at least you'd be like, Oh yeah, we were on this podcast once. Whatever happened to Tobin? Oh yeah. He quit after this episode. He was, <laughs> he was done. Tobin in an effort to close by return, I'd like to change my last answer. Uh, my worst advice was being told to blow out a seven-year-old's birthday candle. <laughs> to shine the brightness. I mean, listen, you had to be there in the moment, okay? Like, this wasn't just like one of those moments where you wake up and you're like the Grinch or something where you're like, I, no, it, no, the Grinch had a motive. My motive was Christmas time, going through kidney stones. This kid just comes in and gives you a one two punch. Like a John Cena type punch where it's like, Wah! and I'm really I, like, I deeply respect your doubling down on <laughs> I mean, listen, listen, Ian, if I ever see you in public and I'm with Jordan, I'm going to be like, look over there, that's Dean Fooster. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to do it for this episode of Tobin Tonight. Remember, you can find past, present, and future episodes on TobinTonight.com, Spotify, and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and leave a comment or two. For Tobin and myself, this is Jacob saying thank you for listening and good night. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on blasttheradio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's blasttheradio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. 
kids. I'm your eager beaver. And I'm Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then have we the perfect perfect podcast podcast for you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous or sexy. Catch us on on the Dean Blundell Blundell Network or on our YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts. Because democracy democracy is is something something you do. do. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.